Head hits on high school soccer and football athletes cause brain injury, even in players not diagnosed with concussions. And researchers say it's time to use technology to make sports safer. Since 2009, Purdue University has been studying nearly 300 high school athletes on three separate football and soccer teams. One of the lead researchers, Eric Nauman, says he's disturbed by the findings. The concussed players are about 10% of the population, but we were actually seeing even greater changes in brain physiology in most of the team. The researchers wired the helmets of athletes and measured every hit. They also conducted thousands of brain scans before, during, and after football and soccer seasons. Athletes whose brain scans later indicated injury showed no symptoms during games, unlike players suffering full-on concussions, which means trainers and coaches couldn't gauge the potential injury. When you add in the, the concussions and this new group, now it's become a big enough problem that we actually need to make serious improvements to protective equipment like helmets. But I think actually technology can help us a lot here. We can call penalties with technology. We can make the game much, much safer with technology. Nauman says players received up to 1,800 hits per season, either from deflecting a soccer ball off the head or from helmet-to-helmet contact. The impacts measured using gravitational force or G's. It's fairly routine to see a 100G hit. A 100G hit is actually kind of scary. Um, we've tried to replicate it in the lab. You basically need to hit somebody with a rubber mallet to mimic that. Average hits will be somewhere between 20 and 30 G's. You know, a roller coaster only gets up to 5 or 6 G's. What we typically compare it to is, uh, is kind of a low-speed car collision. That's your 20, 30 G. Some of the athletes in the study suffered hits measuring as high as 200 G's. That's like falling three stories head first. Most humans suffer a concussion at 100 Gs. The brain takes damage and it tries to heal as much of it as it can. And your brain actually is pretty phenomenal at repairing these, these pathways. But if it isn't able to keep up with the repairs and you just keep hitting practice after practice, game after game, typically what we see is the sum total of a whole bunch of hits. And the, and the one that kind of crosses over and gives you really obvious symptoms could be anything from 35 Gs up to 250. The brain does have the ability to heal itself with time, but the athletes in this study suffered so many hits, their brains couldn't fully heal during the off-season of two to five months. As they take more hits, Nauman says their brain's chemistry begins changing, and the MRI showed diminished brain function among many of the athletes in the study. He says researchers are closer to pinpointing exactly how many hits it takes to reach that point. We're finally starting to tease that out and get to the point where we can recommend interventions. And a lot of it is just put a limit on how many times you hit your head, whether it's soccer or football. I could easily let a little air out of the ball in soccer and make that game much, much safer. For things like football, it's a little tougher, but definitely possible. Putting sensors in the helmets to track hits, to call penalties, or enable the helmets to absorb more energy are all completely doable. The technology is there. It's easy. You just have to get the helmet companies to buy into it. Players could also be taught better blocking and tackling techniques. And because kids try to hide symptoms to avoid being benched, Nauman says parents need to be extra vigilant. You really have to ask your child how they're feeling, get information from, because we've seen concussions take so many crazy forms, everything from the metallic taste in your mouth, which is an impact seizure, to 
one kid, his extremities started to itch constantly. And turns out that his brain was processing information correctly. We had one kid who uh, mucus and tears started to come out. He could talk normally, but he couldn't shut off the mucus. So you really have to like interact with your child and make sure that they're healthy, they're okay. And again, this study focused on high school athletes. Some could go on to play in college and then have professional careers in football and soccer. Nauman says a lifetime of repeated hits to the head could cause immeasurable damage. Would he let his own children play football or soccer? And what's standing in the way of making sports safer? Because this is Rivet, keep listening for Nauman's answers in the full interview about brain injuries among high school athletes. When you're ready to move on, just advance to the next story. Joining me via Skype is Eric Nauman, a professor of mechanical engineering, basic medical sciences, and biomedical engineering at Purdue. What is the most significant finding of your research? I think the the most significant finding that that we've had over this is now our seventh year of doing this actually came in the first year where we found that we had players getting concussed and then we had about half the team somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of the team when we actually looked at them in the MRI their brains looked more different than the players with concussions basically the concussed players are about 10 percent of the population but we were actually seeing even greater changes in brain physiology in most of the team. You know, we've heard a lot lately about all of the concussion-related injuries. What you're saying then is even players who've not had a diagnosis of concussion are being impacted here. That's pretty serious. It was very interesting in the sense that if it is only 10% of the team that gets concussions, it's not entirely clear what to do about that because that's actually a fairly small fraction. Treatment is usually what people would go towards. When we found out that it was actually 70-80% of the team, when you add in the, the concussions and this new group, now it's become a big enough problem that we actually need to make serious improvements to protective equipment like helmets. But I think actually technology can help us a lot here. We can call penalties with technology. We can make the game much, much safer with technology. You mentioned earlier that you've been studying football players for a number of years, um, going back to 2009, I believe. Talk a little bit about the number of players you've been studying and the scope of, of the research and what you've been doing to study them. We have studied 300, 400 athletes. We've done over 1,000 MRIs. Tom Talavich is the guy in our group that, that does the neuroimaging. We've looked at three different high school football teams, three different high school girls soccer teams. We've done college soccer, women's soccer, and then also uh, a little bit with Purdue's football team. This is a large pool of athletes, and um, you've also put sensors into their helmets, and so you kind of get a real good sense of who's being hit and how hard, right? It's an amazing study. We had looked at what other people had done in head injury research, and found that usually what happened is they would wait for somebody to get a concussion and then they would test them some way and then they would compare them to somebody who who is not an athlete, who doesn't play sports. And so what we decided to do was give them in a whole battery of tests in the preseason. So we do MRI, uh, functional MRI, MR spectroscopy, we do the impact test, and then we track every hit that they take in practice and games using for a while, we were using helmet sensors. Now we use a combination of these X-patch sensors that you glue on the skin. 
and uh, mouth guard sensors. And so we can we track everything that happens to them. And then in season and after the season, we do that. We repeat that complete MRI workup. And so we can actually compare what the people looked like preseason to what they look like in season. And then we can watch the recovery process in the postseason. It is so powerful to be able to look at how somebody's brain works in the preseason and then compare directly back to that when you're looking at how they're changing. It's, it's, uh, we see a lot of people trying to do these kind of studies without preseason data, and it is so varied, and, and there's so much that can happen to your brain that without that preseason data, you, we'd never get it. We, it takes a long time, though. I think we did 80 or 90 MRIs over the summer as, as preseason, and now we're just trying to follow them up. Well, I've been watching some video of uh, you doing these tests, and these sensors show just how hard the players are being hit. Uh, If you could give us a sense of how hard they're being hit, what would you compare that to, and what are the worst-case hits that you've seen? It's fairly routine to see a 100G hit. A 100G hit is actually kind of scary. We've tried to replicate it in the lab. You basically need to hit somebody with a rubber mallet to mimic that. We didn't hit anybody with a rubber mallet. We were hitting test dummies with rubber mallets. It's amazing that like the average hits will be somewhere between 20 and 30 Gs. You know, a roller coaster only gets up to 5 or 6 Gs. What we typically compare it to is uh, is kind of a low-speed car collision. That's your 20, 30 G, maybe 40 G, depending on what's going on. And then they get into these sports, whether it's soccer or football, and it's very easy to get up to 100 Gs. I think the highest we've seen so far is 289, and that that athlete was fine. We actually imaged him the next day, and he was fine. But the but another player that same game who took a I think a 240 was concussed and severely concussed. Give our listeners an idea of like when does a concussion? How many G's would cause a concussion? Uh, our research has shown that you can't really define the hit that causes a concussion. Basically, what seems to happen is that. The brain takes damage and it tries to heal as much of it as it can. And your brain actually is pretty phenomenal at repairing these these pathways. But if it isn't able to keep up with the repairs and you just keep hitting practice after practice, game after game, almost any hit can actually cause a concussion. Because really what it is, is in most cases, is it's the just the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, I mean, obviously you can get a concussion with a single hit. But typically what we see is the sum total of a whole bunch of hits. And the, and the one that kind of crosses over and gives you really obvious symptoms could be anything from 35 Gs up to 250. You mentioned earlier that you do the preseason and then the current season MRIs. Uh, are you finding any, um, anything concerning about the off-season? Is there any improvement in damage or does the situation get worse? Yeah, it really depends on on what goes on with the players. One of the things that we're starting to see, and this is a little difficult to quantify because we can't follow the athletes 24-7 all, all year round, but where, where I'm originally from in Minnesota, we were talking to some people where they'll play football, then they'll play hockey, then they'll play spring football or lacrosse and then summer hockey and then they go to football camps and you'll have athletes who hit their head pretty much, you know, except for about three weeks all year round. And that's one extreme. In the other extreme, you know, if you have somebody who plays football but then doesn't hit their head for the next few months, we do see improvement. 
we generally see that a lot of the of the changes have been recovered or you know the, the injuries have been healed during the off season although I, I have to say we still see a significant percentage where they still aren't quite the same by the time the next season begins. It really depends on what they're doing in the off season, and that's one of the things that we have to, to figure out a way to quantify. What sorts of issues does this create when you have a, a hit like this with your chemi- brain chemistry and, and with your physiology? What sorts of physical things are manifested? Uh, a lot of people used to think that a, that a concussion was broken axons, broken neurons. And what we're finding is that damage to the brain can take a lot of different forms. It can be the neurons, but it can also be the glial cells, which basically feed the neurons and keep them healthy. And it can even be the blood supply, the vasculature, little capillaries can get damaged. And so it's all different types of damage. And so one of the things that we're finding is that you take hit after hit after hit, your brain actually adapts. The, the chemistry changes the pathways that it normally uses to solve problems, your brain will adjust those and reroute the signals. And we can actually watch that happen in the fMRI. And that's a phenomenal thing to see. And so your brain adapts tremendously until it gets to a point where it just can't. And that's when you start to have really bad symptoms, really obvious symptoms, like the kind of things where somebody will fall down, they can't stand back up, or they're unconscious. But if there's any parents out there, you really have to ask your child how they're feeling, get information from because we've seen concussions take so many crazy forms, everything from the metallic taste in your mouth, which is an impact seizure, to one kid, his extremities started to itch constantly. And you know, just thought maybe he had gotten some spider bites or something like that. It turns out that his brain was processing information incorrectly. We had one kid who uh, mucus and tears started to come out. He could talk normally, but he couldn't shut off the mucus. It was unbelievable. And uh, so you really have to like interact with your, your child and make sure that they're healthy, they're okay, they're not having any anything that you know is weird to them you got to find out. You mentioned that it sort of repairs itself and there's that, you know, repairing that goes on until you get to that point. What is that point? I guess that's the magic question, right? I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out is how how far is too far. And we're finally in, in season six and seven, we're finally starting to tease that out and get to the point where we can recommend interventions. And a lot of it is just put a limit on how many times you hit your head, whether it's soccer or football. I could easily let a little air out of the ball in soccer and make that game much, much safer. For things like football, it's a little tougher, but definitely possible. Putting sensors in the helmets to track hits, to call penalties, or enable the helmets to absorb more energy are all completely doable. The technology is there. It's easy. You just have to get the helmet companies to buy into it. We've been talking about high school football players that you've been studying, and Mm -hmm. and a lot of these kids go on to play college football. Some might even be pro football players, soccer players. If this is a lifetime of injury, what is the point at when they get to that professional level or college level? Where Do you have any idea or sense of the danger that's involved? We're starting to get a sense of that as well. Like so, so you're absolutely right. If somebody starts off playing Pop Warner and they go all the way through high school and then they go to college and they go to the pros, I mean, you might have somebody who started when they're eight and is, or even younger and is playing till they're 28 and now you've got 20 years of head impacts. 
And if you don't give yourself a chance to heal, you could be in big trouble. And the reason we worry about this, we're desperately trying to figure out where does the damage start? Where are athletes the most vulnerable? That's one of the reasons why we focus on high school because we think they might be a little more vulnerable than, say, college and, and pro athletes. But as those injuries accumulate, you know, at some point you're just going to be so susceptible that you can't stop the head injuries. And I think much more than 10 or 20 years ago, we're seeing athletes play year round, work out year round, go to camps all over the country. That's a new thing. That wasn't around 20, 30 years ago. And, uh, and you're also seeing the athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. You know, we, we were working with some high school players who were 6'7", 280. And if you look back at the steel curtain, I don't think any of them were that big. I know the purple people eaters weren't that big. So you're definitely dealing with a new thing. And we really have to quantify this because we don't want this to accumulate to the point that there's just nothing you can do. Do you get the sense that football teams and high schools and colleges are taking this seriously and have the kinds of staff and preventative measures and things in place to deal with this and, and handle it in the way that it should be handled, as you've described, or does more work need to be done? I think they're kind of afraid to acknowledge that there's a problem, even though it's a fixable problem, because then the lawyers get involved. So I think it's going to take kind of like a third party to come in and say, here's the solution. But with all the potential lawsuits, I think they're going to have trouble I think at all levels, they, they take it seriously, but they can only see symptoms. And kids want to play so badly that they'll ignore symptoms, not even try, not even necessarily hide them, but they'll ignore symptoms so they can play. And so the only thing that your coach or your team physician is going to actually see are symptoms that are so obvious that the athlete can't ignore them and, and they're painfully obvious. So our challenge is to provide the the data and provide the technology so that they can take them seriously even when there aren't obvious symptoms and that's that's a difficult thing to do but you know if you look around the field of medicine mammograms have dramatically improved you know how we treat breast cancer getting the information early when there's maybe nothing obvious but you can you can find it early and treat it that's essentially the same kind of paradigm that we'd like to apply to sports. And so really the onus is on us to develop the technology. I, I would love to see NIH, CDC, NCAA, and NFL actually step up and provide those resources. But I think if we give that technology to people, they will. They, nobody wants kids hurt, so I, I think they'll step up and use it. There have been some efforts to redesign helmets. You mentioned earlier that maybe the helmet companies weren't doing as much as they could. Is that a fair assessment? If you look at the automobile, right, so so a four-door sedan in the 50s and 60s, you had an old Chevy and it was steel. And if you were in a car crash, the passengers just flew around. The steel car didn't absorb any energy. Now, if you're in a modern car, if you're in a car crash, the front and the back collapse. You know, you can actually be in a car crash and chances are you're going to be okay. You, you may not enjoy it, obviously. But you're going to be okay because the front and the back of that car absorbs so much energy now. It's, it's very much the same with the helmets. We're still at the era where the helmets are the big, rigid, strong structures. They do protect you from fracturing your skull, but they don't absorb much energy. That's not a hard thing to change. It's just that in some ways you can't even blame the helmet companies because the standards that are set only apply to skull fracture. And so 
we really need a new set of standards for concussion and, and really for traumatic brain injury in general. And that's one of the things we've been trying to advocate for is now that we have all this great medical imaging, let's use that to produce the next generation of standards. And I think if we have those standards, the helmet companies, they can do it. The technology is there that they, they will be able to do it. Let me ask you this. Um, I don't know if your father or if, would you let them play football or, or the, any of these sports? In general, I would not. Although I have seen, I mean, we've actually seen the data and we've seen coaches who don't run contact drills in practice. And that seems to go a long way. So I would, you know, if, if it was the right coach in the right situation, I would consider it. But the one caveat I have to put out there is that I inherited a genetic defect where I can dislocate any joint at any time. And it's actually quite painful. And I seem to have transmitted that on. So not, none of my children will be playing football, but partly for the head injury reason, but partly because they'll dislocate all over the place. Well, this is, uh, among parents, a huge issue, and, and many parents are not letting their kids do this anymore. Do you think we may see a time when, at the high school level, these sports start to be canceled because of the problems that you've described, that we might see some of these sports die and go away? I think that is a possibility, but I don't think it's a very serious one in the sense that, you know, right now, the best you can do is, is you know, if you have a child that wants to play one of these contact sports— I would advocate watching what the coach does the year before your child is ready to play and see if they do, you know, how much hitting do they do? Do they teach the right technique? Like you actually can't just turn it over to the coaches and assume everything's okay. But I really believe that with the right funding, we could knock it out in six to nine months. I mean, it is just not that hard of a problem to make this game safer, to make all these games safer. So I don't think they'll die away. I think that eventually somebody will come around and build the helmets and build the sensor system so that kids can play safely. That's Purdue University researcher Eric Nauman, and I'm Steve Grzanich on Rivet.